So uh, when I was in my 20s, you know, once I had rationalized that we were created, um, I had this unrelenting desire uh, to understand why we're here. And in my mind, I, I kept going back to, well, if we're created and we're not the product of some random chance, um, then there was obviously intent. And if there was intent, then there would have to be purpose. Now, the complexities of science that are presented to us in school uh, seem to be intended to provide us with logic that would go against creation uh, instead of showing us the intention of careful design and not random chance. Um, and every time I stop and think about how my body functions, just how it's comprised of you know, systems and subsystems, and they all function together, um, to me, I just marvel because it simply points to creation. Now, uh, I know we got a lot of military guys in here, so uh, I was in the Navy, and on my second deployment, I remember working with, with one of the smartest guys I think I'd ever met in my life, and we were just having a conversation, and, and I asked him, I said, don't you want to know why we're here? I mean, do, doesn't it bother you to not know why we're here? And, you know, he kind of had a puzzled look on his face, and he just said, no. I said, you know, we're here, and that's, that's really all there is to know. And, you know, to me, that ignorance um, to basically be used as an excuse to live out his fleshly desires, you know, it, it wasn't good enough for me. It didn't sit well with me, so I continued to seek. And we had a Bible study uh, this past Friday at the Blakely's house, and it was really timely. You know, we read through Proverbs 2, uh, which is focused on seeking wisdom. And one of the members of our group, uh, when we were having the discussion, pointed out that from a grammatical standpoint, in Proverbs 2, there's quite a few if-then statements in that writing. And that, that really stood out to me, because what it says is, if you receive my words, if you cry out for discernment, if you seek wisdom as silver, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now, there's a level of effort required by the seeker uh, to take time to study, to take time to pray, uh, and to fellowship with like-minded believers so that you can ask questions and get your questions answered. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith once told a story uh, in one of his sermons that I had listened to about a time where he was invited to speak at a conference for seekers. And so he went, uh, he went on to explain that the invited speakers were extremely educated, um, at least considered you know, by the world standards, and they loved to talk about how wise they were and all the expeditions that they had gone through all their travels that they had gone through in order to find truth. You know, they had done LSD sessions. They'd seek, you know, sought out alternative religions, you know, different uh, meditation practices, things of that nature. And they were, they were talking about, you know, just how educated they were in the ways of the world, how they had sought out knowledge and they were finding it. And so after about an hour of Chuck being there, he said he you know, started praying to God, like, hey, God, can you get me out of here? I don't even know why I, got, I came here. And uh, eventually they turned to him and said, hey, you know, you've been pretty quiet. What do you say? 
And so he started to say, well, I believe that God, and then they immediately interrupted him and said, well, when you say God, do you mean this or do you mean this? And so he sat there while they debated each other again, and then uh, eventually someone said, look, we invited this guy here. At least we can listen to him. So um, once he was allowed to speak again, you know, he looked at everybody and he simply said, I too have sought out truth, and I found it through Jesus Christ, and I have complete peace. And when he said that, you could hear a pin drop because the statement grabbed their attention because peace was something through all their seeking that they had not found. Now, to God's glory, some of these men were so taken with Chuck's declaration that over time they did seek out truth. They asked questions. They they uh, eventually cried out to God, and by digging in the Word and believing, they eventually found that same peace that we know by having found Jesus Christ. So once I knew God was there and I understood that we are here for a purpose, I began to seek and search the Word to see what it says. Now, the Bible says that God created us for His pleasure. It's Isaiah 43. But it also says that he knows each of us individually, certainly much better than we understand ourselves. It's written in Psalms 139, uh, and I'll read this short uh, set of verses here. 139, verses 13 through 16. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows them very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now to some people, stating that God created us for his pleasure you know, doesn't sit well. Initially, it didn't sit well with me. And... Uh, I think it's because I felt somewhat self-righteous. You know, I, I wanted to believe that my existence had more meaning than simply to be here to worship God and that it was only through my works or my self-glorification, you know, that I'd, I'd feel some level of self-worth. Um, but what mankind and what I had failed to understand at first is just how much God loves us, how much he watches out for us that these boundaries that he set in the Bible were given not to restrict, but to protect. And the best way that I'm able to describe the love that God has for us was demonstrated in the parable of the prodigal son, which is uh, Luke 15, and and I'll paraphrase it here. Um, In this parable, the son tells the father, Dad, I wish you didn't exist. You know, he basically tells him, I, I wish you were dead so that I can enjoy my inheritance, do whatever I want to do. And so the father says, well, okay, and he lets him go. Now, the whole time the father longs to have that son with him, but it's only if the son chooses to use his free will to do so. Now, eventually the son realizes, you know, what am I doing? You know, I'm throwing away probably the greatest thing that I've got you know, handed to me, and tries to think of a way to get his father to take him back. But the father, upon seeing his son, 
make that choice to return, he rejoices. He runs to him. Now, this is the exact same love that God has for each man or woman who chooses to return to him because they've been separated by sin. But it requires a level of action on the part of the individual to humble themselves and use their free will to be with the Father. Now, the Apostle Paul, when preaching in Athens, told those philosophers that were there seeking knowledge at the Areopagus that it was very evident that they were seeking out God. You know, they had, he told them, you made all these altars to numerous gods that you have, have identified. And I actually came across one that said, uh, to the unknown God. And then Paul proceeded to tell them, who God was, and some of the men scoffed, some pondered it and said, hey, yeah, we need to talk about this some more. And then some said they uh, heard the message and that they believed. God made himself known to all men by coming to earth as Christ. And Jesus often said, if you know me, you know the Father. Christ made himself a living example so that all men seeking God could know him. Not only did Jesus come to show those seekers who God is, he also prayed for those who would believe. Setting the example uh, and communication are two examples that the seeker can take to heart, knowing that the Father is there and he's done all he can so that you can go back to him. Um, Jesus, speaking to his disciples just prior to going to the cross, spoke his longest documented prayer to the Father, and he asked God to bless the work of his ministry and protect his disciples in their ministry. Uh, a loving Father in heaven who wants us to choose him, a loving shepherd and redeemer who lived among us and prays for us. Um, so that's where we're going to have our uh, study today. We're going to, uh, if you'd turn to uh, John 17, we're going to walk through that prayer uh, that Jesus made right before he went to the cross. And we'll actually pick up uh, so that we have the context when we start in 17. We'll read John 16, 33, and then we're going to go through uh, all of 17. And I'm going to break it up in, into chunks here. All right, so John uh, 16, 33, and for this first part, we're going to read through 17, uh, verse 5. These things I have spoken to you that, you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Uh, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So this peace that Jesus speaks about is that same peace that Chuck Smith and the Apostle Paul referred to when they spoke to those seekers at the conference and then on the Oropagus. 
Jesus Christ has overcome the world, and you should have complete peace with that. In verse 3, Jesus equates himself to the one true God, and his sole desire, Jesus' sole desire, is that you know who he is, that you know the Father. If you know and you believe in God, you will have eternal life. And eternal life is not just length of life, but it's also quality of life. Knowing God as Lord, Father, and friend. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus declares that his work on earth was completed, and he asks God to bless it. The crucifixion, which was now in sight, brought glory to the Father. It brought glory to the Father because it glorified God's wisdom, his faithfulness, his holiness, and his love for us. It also brought glory to Jesus. It glorified Jesus' compassion, his patience, and his power, all attributes of God. In bearing the weight of all transgressions, this single willing act of Jesus vanquished Satan's power over us and redeemed us. It showed us that before time began, God knew what would occur and had a plan for redemption. But it does take a you know, action on our part. You have to willingly submit and you have to willingly admit. You know, the Father is there and he's waiting, but it takes you to return to him. Um, so now we're going to continue reading. We're going to read uh, John 17, verses 6 through 19. And this is a long one. We're going to get through it. All right. So I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I come forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into this world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. So Jesus here, knowing he's going to the cross, starts praying for his disciples, the ones that are going to remain and do his work. Now, in verses 6 through 8, Jesus said he had manifested the Father's name to his disciples. Now, he did this by coming and living uh, as God in the flesh, demonstrating God's attributes and character. Uh, He also stated that the disciples had kept God's word. Um, 
Jesus here is letting God know that these men were ready to carry on God's work despite any of the shortcomings that they may have had because they believed. And Jesus knew they believed. Now, God was pleased with Abraham in the Old Testament because of his faith, because he believed in God. Jesus was telling the Father here that he could also be pleased with these disciples, despite their shortcomings, that were about to go out and do the work, because they had faith and they believed that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. Um, For us as Christians that go out and do God's work, that continue that, be encouraged that you and I are not perfect, but we are servants and we're doing what God's asking us to do. And what pleases God and what pleases Jesus about the work that we do is that we believe. And that's just not something any man can judge. It's only something that God can judge, knowing whether you believe in your heart that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. Um, In verses 9 through 14, uh, Jesus is praying specifically for his disciples and not for the world. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus never prayed for the world because when he, before he died on the cross and declared it as finished, he prayed out loud to God and said, Forgive them, forgive the world, for they know not what they do. Jesus prays for the work of his disciples that are about to begin as they go about establishing the church. Jesus prayed the disciples would be one, they'd be unified like God and Christ are unified, and that they display that same character that God and Jesus displayed. Jesus, the shepherd, gives account for his flock by telling God that all that had been given to him were not lost except for Judas. So 11 of the 12 disciples chose to follow God. Judas chose to walk away. In verses 15 through 18, Jesus prayed for his disciples that God would not take them from the earth right away. Because we know that uh, in reading, the disciples longed to be with them. They said, Lord, where are you going? That's where we want to go. But instead, he prays for their protection and their preservation. Now, the church today is the salt to the earth. We are that preserving agent that continues to fight evil and helps to continue to grow the church for Christ until he returns. Um, We must always remember that if God is for us, no one can stand against us. If the church is unified, no one can stand against us. So in this last section here, Jesus prays for us, the current church. So let's read verses 20 through 26. And Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, meaning the disciples, but also for those who believe in me, through their word, that they may, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and I have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. 
and these have known you that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. In verse 20, every believer throughout time can say with certainty that Christ prayed for me. He prayed for us each individually, but also that we, as his body, would remain unified as one with God. At the time of Christ's coming, you know, there were many religious men that were seeking, that were waiting and looking for him, but they didn't recognize him because they didn't know enough about God's character. They didn't know what they should be looking for. We as Christians have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide us, the word to remind us, and prayer so that we can communicate with God. But we were also given the blessing of Jesus so that we could actually see and read exactly who God is. Now, as his church, having sought out truth, having observed the Father through Christ, let's not give power over to obstacles that exist in this world that would distract us from demonstrating God's characteristics so that other unbelievers, other seekers, can find him. Jesus said, if you know me, you know the Father. And as his church, we want to represent Christ to the seekers so that they would be able to say, I know the church body, therefore I know the Father. In closing, if anyone out there is still seeking, God hides out in the open. He's evident everywhere if you look hard enough, but it takes a level of effort on your part to do it. He doesn't judge men like men judge men. He looks at your heart and he knows your sincerity. So if you seek, you knock, you ask, and then you believe because it's through belief, it's through faith that pleases him, then he will reveal himself to you. And like the father that was waiting for his wayward son, God the Father wants nothing more than to embrace you again. Amen? Let me get you to stand. We'll close with prayer. Father God, we do give thanks, Lord, that uh, you came to this earth, Lord. You showed us who the Father was. And Father, we rejoice, Lord, that uh, you redeemed us, Lord, that you do know us individually. So, uh, Father, we would just pray that uh, you would unify the church, Lord, that you would help guide the church, Lord, and that uh, we would work together And remember, Lord, that we're here to do your work, to complete the work that you asked us to complete. Uh, So, Father, uh, please bless the church. Please watch over us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.